Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. to tell you I was a little reluctant to do the fill in the blank thing because I'm not good at that but we're going to talk about Psalm 51 today true repentance so trusting you have a Bible in front of you I'll be open to Psalms Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm. It's one of many that David wrote when he was saying, I'm sorry. I like David. He's a man after God's own heart. But I am always heartened when I read about the way the man struggled. It it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. If you don't know the backstory of Psalm 51, I'll give it to you real quick. You can actually read about it um, in 2 Samuel 11. But, long story short, while David's army is out fighting, he's actually at home. Problem number one. And while he's at home, he's joing around in his castle... And he sees Bathsheba, uh, who's taking a bath. And he sends for her, and she becomes pregnant. And he panics. And so he calls her husband Uriah back from the battle, thinking, okay, the way I'm going to fix this is I'm going to give Uriah a little R&R. He's going to go home then everything is going to be Jake, and I can put this behind me. doesn't work that way, because Uriah is so hardcore, he actually sleeps on David's doorstep, because he would not, while his men were in battle, sleep in his own bed. He protects the king. So that doesn't work out. So now Dave really starts to panic. Dave, to his friends. Sends them back into battle with instructions to the commander that they would draw back from Uriah in the heat of battle. And Uriah is killed. And David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, who spins this story about a rich man and a sheep and rich guy steals the sheep from the poor guy and what are we going to do? And David loses it and said, we're going we're gonna to exact vengeance on this rich guy. He never should have done that. That's wrong. And Nathan points out to him, not for nothing, boss, but that guy is you. And the weight of David's sin crashes down upon him. And among other things, the child that Bathsheba was pregnant with dies. In 2 Samuel 12.10, we read about the punishment that the Lord levies on David. The sword will never leave your house. And indeed, David was driven from Jerusalem in a coup attempt by his son Absalom. 
And three of David's sons, Ab, Am, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, died violent deaths. David lived with that sin forever. As my son Andrew likes to say, not a good deal for that guy. Big sin. Big sin. The Lord was unhappy. And he punished David for it, severely, for the rest of his life. He lived with the consequence of that sin. That brings me to my first point. You'll see this noted in your, in your bullet and under the, the scripture reference. When we are not where we are supposed to be, we are in danger of doing what we ought not to do. When we aren't where we're supposed to be, we are in danger of doing what we ought not to do. Though there are consequences for disobedience, Grace and forgiveness await the brokenhearted. And that is what Psalm 51 is all about. Psalm 51 is about a broken man who knows that he has messed up big time, goes to the Lord and confesses his sin. And what's cool about it is that David was so confident in the character of God and knew the Lord so well that despite this sin, he knew that he would receive forgiveness from God. Not because forgiveness is a small thing, but because God is a big God. That's what Psalm 51 is all about. So, with that, I'll have you turn to Psalm 51. We'll kind of break it down here. So this is written about specifically about his sin with Bathsheba. And we know that because there's a notation there. Um, this is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. I'm going to read this whole thing and then we'll, we'll go through it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
When we're not supposed to be, we're in danger of doing what we ought not to do. Can I get an amen? I won't dime anybody out, but wiggle your toe if you know what I'm talking about. There are consequences for disobedience. But in Christ, grace and forgiveness await the brokenhearted. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Point number one in your bulletin. Godly repentance requires integrity at the time of confession because we didn't display it at the time of action. Godly repentance requires integrity at the time of confession because we didn't display it at the time of action. So sometimes we go to God in confession and we're embarrassed and we're ashamed and we say something like, Forgive me for my sins, O Lord. Jesus' name, amen. Right? We want to be specific about the sins for which we're asking forgiveness. We want to name them. We don't want to gloss over them. There is power in putting words on those actions, on those thoughts, on those attitudes. Forgive me, Lord, for the impatience that I have towards so-and-so, for the hateful feelings that I have towards such-and-such. Forgive me for my covetousness towards Ron's new car, whatever, right? Why? Well, the fact that I'm sinful, that, that, that's a given. I was born sinful, right? And I'm going to remain sinful until the day I die and God glorifies me. But if I want forgiveness from sin, and more importantly, if I want to not do that anymore... I need to be as conscious of it as God is. And so I need to name that sin. And I need to ask for forgiveness for it. And I need to have integrity about what it is that I want changed in my life. If I'm angry, if I drink too much, if I covet, if I'm scanning websites that I shouldn't, if I steal from my employer, whatever it is, I want to name that. And I want to tell God, I want you to tear that out of my life, branch and root, and I want you to fill it with something better. But I can't do that if I just sort of ask for a pass from sin generally, right? I want to name that. It requires integrity. Point number two, godly repentance makes us understand that though we may have sinned against others, our sin is ultimately an offense against God. Turn, if you will, to... Uh, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Anybody besides me was a little kind of like confused on that? Like I, you know, Ron left his wallet sitting out and I took his wallet, right? So haven't I also sinned against Ron? I have, but the commandment that I've broken is God's commandment, Right? 
And so Ron can, you know, maybe he never knows. Jesus, I, you know, I've set it down. I, maybe the janitor, to, I, whatever, right? But God knows that Mike Colstock took it. And that's why it's primarily an offense against God. So I want to acknowledge that. I want to own that, right? And then I want to give it to God. I have, I have offended you. I have done this thing. I am, I am sorry for it. Help me to make it right, right? If I have to repay Ron, if I, 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 if I have to go and confess that to him, whatever it is that I need to do, Lord, you lay that on my heart. You tell me what to do. I will go do that, right? That's doing the right thing. That doesn't generate the forgiveness, right? God forgives, but he might also impel me to do something about it, to make that person whole. That goes back to that notion of integrity. But ultimately, our sin is against God. And that is why we need a Savior. Because Ron could say, hey, man, you know what? It was 20 bucks. Don't worry about it. That, okay, right? But now... What, Ron's my savior for the 20 bucks? That doesn't make sense, right? It's against God that we've sinned. Skip down to um, verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. You know what the actual words for purify me are in Hebrew? Dig this. Unsin me. Don't you want to be unsinned? Isn't that great? Unsin me. I love that. I love that. Not just forgive me, but make it go away. Make it go away. Which, of course, is what Christ did. When we are in Christ, God makes our sins go away. They are no longer on our side of the ledger. They've been transferred to Jesus' side of the ledger and paid in full. Unsin me. And then he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a, a plant that was used in a ceremonial cleansing. So if you were cleansed with hyssop at the temple, or you, you were ritually clean, right? So you could participate in the temple activities, right? But you weren't really clean David here is saying, I want to be not only ritually clean, but I want to be clean, clean. Anybody in here who works with their hands or something like that, you, you wash your hands with Gojo or like a lava soap, that's clean, clean, yeah. right? You go in and try it with like a bar of Dove or something like that, that's, that ain't going to work, right? you got to get that Gojo, right? A couple times sometimes, right? I remember when Andrew was really small, he and I were out working on my motorcycle, and he just, his hands got super-duper filthy, right? Like under the fingernails and just, which is fine, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do when you're five. And I said, have I got a deal for you? Stuck his hands in the gojo, and I remember his, his reaction. Oh, wow, mom's going to like this. <laughs> yep. Unsin me. Make me ritually clean. So clean that I am now eligible to enter into the sanctuary, right? Which I, where, where I couldn't go if I was a Jew, if I was unclean, right? And there were a bunch of ways to be ritually unclean. 
David is saying, take this, just take it away. Take it away. Godly repentance acknowledges that only God, not our actions, not our intentions, can cleanse us from sin and restore us to fellowship with Him. You couldn't go to temple unless you were ritually clean. In verse... uh, second half of verse 7. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord, if you wash me, if you make me clean, I will be whiter than snow. He goes on to say, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Have you ever done? Have you ever felt so oppressed by by your sin that you just it, you just sort of feel squashed? That's what he's saying here. My bones are broken. My spirit is heavy. I just I can't even I don't even have the mojo to get out of bed, right? But if you wash me, Lord, if you forgive me, if you make me clean, then the bones which you have broken. This weight of conscience that you have placed on me because of actions that I have done, they will rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Think about this. God sees everything. Right? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. David's saying, I want you to ignore those attributes about yourself and hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Make it go away. The God that knows everything, that remembers everything, for whom time doesn't make any difference, his memory doesn't get hazy as the months and years go by, he's saying, I want you to like turn that off. Blot out my transgressions. Skip down to verse uh, 10. 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm just going to break in here. Remember what Jesus, one of the things that he said when he was dying on the cross? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Right? God cannot abide sin. He can't be near it. He turns his back on it. He turns his face from it. I think that what Jesus was saying there, or what he what, what compelled him to say that, he's actually quoting from Psalms, is that he felt the separation from God that needed to occur in order for God's wrath to rest upon him. All of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, lay on that man's head. God can't be near that. Jesus had spent, up until that point, every waking moment in God's presence, enjoying his favor, knowing that he was God's son, hanging out with him, talking with him, praying with him, spending time. God was, he couldn't be near that at that point. The loneliness, the desolation that that Jesus felt compelled him to say that. And that is what uh, what David is asking here. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't push me away. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's my connection to you. Restore to me, instead, 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain within me a willing spirit. God, don't cast me away. Bring me back. Let me know you love me and give me a willing spirit so that I don't do this again. Point number four in your bulletin says, repentance comes as a gift from God. He gives repentance. It's not something we can gin up on our own. Five extra points for somebody who can tell me the biblical character in the early New Testament who was not granted repentance by God. Anyone? Oh, somebody said it. Esau. Esau. Jacob and Esau. Esau was not granted repentance. How frightening is that? That God would withhold our ability to repent of our sins. Holy cow. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain within me a willing spirit. Do not deny me the gift of repentance. This is why it's so important to confess our sins to God. If we allow a callus to grow over our conscience, it just doesn't become a big deal. The sin in our life just doesn't become a big deal. If we don't repent, if we don't confess, if we don't ask God to tear that out of our life, it's just not that big of a deal. And that's what it looks like when repentance starts to slip away. If your sin isn't bothering you, you got a problem. That's a problem, right? It might not seem like a big deal. It might not seem like a big sin. But God is asking us to repent of all of our sin. And so where that isn't happening in our lives, we need to make a special effort. And sometimes that's because we harbor something really close. God, you can have this whole part of my life except for like this little thing. I just I want to hang on to this part. Right? Remember that, um, that story that John and Vicki wrote about, or uh, read about Jesus and the house of your spirit and Jesus kind of going through and cleaning out all the places in your... Yeah, this is that one closet that you just don't want to open up. Right? This is that one little space, that box of stuff that you don't want to give over to Jesus. Well, that's become a callus on your spirit, right? And you want God to scrape that off, right? We want, we want him to take all of that. Repentance comes as a gift from God. Who here can think, and again, I won't ask anybody to raise their hands. Who here can think back to a time in their life when they were trapped in sin, and since then, they have set it down, and they have fully repented of that sin, and every now and again you're reminded of it, and you go... Thank you so much for delivering me from that sin. Anybody got one of those in their lives? I do. Yeah, I got more time than you have to talk about all those, right? We, um, if you've got some kind of sin like that that's in your past, something you set down, and you look back over the years and you think, wow, I, I, that used to drag me around by the nose. And, 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 and God delivered me from it, right? That's huge. That's a huge gift from God. And he wants to do that with all of the sin in your life. And can you imagine 
being freed from those things. And if, if you've had it done once, you just want to chase that again and again and again. Repentance comes as a gift from God. And then, skip down to uh, verse 13. So, D- David kind of sets up a, a proposal for God. If you created me a clean heart and, and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, and if you don't cast me away, and if you don't take your Holy Spirit, and if you joy, uh, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain within me a willing spirit, then, then I will teach, teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. If you do these things, then I will tell people about you. I will teach transgressors your way. That's point number five. Real repentance results in gratitude to God so great that we can't help but share the gospel. Let me tell you about what God did in my life. I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to share my testimony with the, uh, with the deacons of the church. And I, I hadn't thought about some of the things that God had done in my life in a while around the, the, the time that I accepted the Lord. But it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And I, and I remember being happy all over again. Yeah, God did that for me. Right? I, I, I was having lunch a, a while ago with a friend of mine who, I, regrettably, I think has, has drifted from the faith. And he's reading a lot of books. And he's one of these people who says, well, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Okay. And I, I feel bad and, 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 I, and I pray for him. But uh, I remember saying to him, well, you know, the Christian faith is either real or it's not. Can, can we all agree with that statement? It's, it's either real or it's not. Okay. It's real, just spoiler alert. But every one of us in this room who is saved knows that it's real because they can point to something in their life that proves it from Scripture. Right? I had this set of affections before I was saved. Paul tells me that God renews my mind. Now I have this set of affections. These things are no longer attractive to me. My mind has been renewed. I cannot chalk that up to anything other than the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, maybe it's just the power of positive thinking. Right? Maybe it's, maybe it's Oprah. Maybe it's how to win friends and influence people. Maybe. That's where faith comes in. I have to ascribe that set, that new set of godly affections, that new set of affections, which were uninteresting to me before being saved, and now are very interesting to me. I have to ascribe the fact that when I read this book, I don't say, well, you know, I mean, it's an old book, and that sounds kind of cool, but that's not the way things work today. No, when I read this book today, I think that is at odds with what the world tells me how is it that I need to change my approach so that it aligns with what's here? Right? That's either the Holy Spirit or it's not. But if it's not the Holy Spirit, 
then I have to come up with some worldly explanation how it is that my mind has become aligned with what is in this book. And I can't do it other than to say that it's real. Right? Some people might blow it off. That's fine. This is what faith is all about. I can't say with certainty why God did that other than the fact that he's gracious. I can only tell you that he did do that in accordance with his promise. Why he picked me, I don't know. Right? It's not like he was getting a good bargain. But he's gracious. What's the definition of grace? It's not a pass for sin. It is unmerited favor. That's what grace is. You don't deserve it, I'm going to give it to you anyway. That's grace. Faith is what grabs hold of that. Faith is what makes us say, or stop saying, well, I'm really grateful, God, you know, what do you want me to do for you? God isn't asking us to act better. He's asking us to believe. Believe and accept. Godly repentance leads me to be, leads me to want to share that with other people. Even the unsaved, well, I'm sorry, especially the unsaved, but, even the, but, but those who are vacillating in their faith, those who are skeptical, those who don't know. And I especially want to do that for this reason. Somebody did that for me. I'll just share this with you really briefly. My wife and I, you may know this, we're both, we, we're both former law enforcement. When we bought our house, she was a state trooper, I was a local cop. We were cops number five and six who moved into our neighborhood. Guy who lived across the street from me is a cop. Guy who lived next door to me is a cop. Guy who lived next door to him was a cop. Guy who lived around the corner was a cop. And that man sat in my garage and listened to my snippy, smart-alecky, snotty questions, because I could tell he was a Christian, right? And I mean like sweater vest wearing guitar playing Christian, right? <laughs> Hands in the air, Bible thumping the whole nine yards. He's a real deal. God moved me in across the street from the one person who was able to deliver that message. How do I not do the same for the next guy? How do I not have infinite patience with the person who tells me that they're not religious, just spiritual? Who thinks that Christianity is a big crock? How do I not look at them and say, this is a person made in the image of God, saved or not, made in the image of God. They are God's image bearer. By his mercy, they'll be saved. But even if I can't pick the fruit, I don't want to bruise it. I don't want to be that guy. You need Jesus or you're going to hell. Nobody ever got saved that way. Right? Real repentance results in gratitude to God so great we can't help but share the gospel. So... If you look at verse 16. You don't delight in sacrifices, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. 
Which, by the way, that's, that's what you did in the temple, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you won't despise. Outward actions and empty words do not fool or flatter God, but he cannot resist a broken heart. He can't resist a broken heart. He forgives, he restores. Recall that David and Bathsheba had another child. Remember who it was? Solomon. Solomon. You can read about him starting in 1 Kings. He's the guy who asked the Lord for wisdom rather than power. He made me king over this group of folks. Lord, I'm going to need some help, right? He's the guy who built the original temple. God wouldn't allow David to do it. He's the guy who wrote Proverbs. Solomon. David and Bathsheba had Solomon. He forgives, he restores. God's anger toward our sin and the fact that we suffer its consequences does not, when we are in Christ, separate us from his love. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And if we're honest, we'll admit he saves us from our most self-destructive impulses. Yes, God hates sin, but he loves the repentant sinner. We mess up. We're sometimes ashamed to show our face in prayer, asking for forgiveness for a besetting sin or a cruel remark or a lapse in judgment. In other words, for not being where we're supposed to be. Doing what we're not supposed to do. How do you think David felt when he wrote this psalm? Well, we know. He felt dirty, blood guilty, and broken hearted. That's how he felt. That's what it says. But he knew God, and he knew God's character. God's character, not David's, is what drove David to seek forgiveness from the very God he had offended in full confidence that he would be forgiven. Do you pray that way? Or are you kind of, sorry, God, give me for my sins, in Jesus' name. Or do you go before God knowing that he will forgive you? Do you pray with that level of confidence? When my son messes up, he comes to me and he says, Dad, fill in the blank. Right? All the fathers in this room know know that statement, right? And he knows that I might be upset and he knows that there might be a consequence. But what he also knows is that he's still my son and that I love him and that nothing's going to ever change. Want to see a demonstration of that? Watch this. Andrew, who am I? What do you know about Dad? Even when you leave my shop messy? Yes. (laughs) Even when you leave your shoes in a great big jumble? Yes. Always. Always. And that's exactly the way God is with us. Exactly. Who am I? I'm God. What do you know about God? I know God loves me. That's the level of confidence that God wants us to have. That's why he put this story in the book. Keep this in mind when you're approaching God with sin in your life. There is no sin problem in our lives bigger than a dead Jesus. I'll say that again. There is no sin problem in our lives 
bigger than a dead Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave forgives our sin if we will but ask. That same power that raised him from the grave forgives us from our sins. All we need to do is ask. The same grace and love that sent an innocent man to the cross to die for our sins on our behalf now acts to restore us to fellowship with the Father if we'll but ask. We bow with me in prayer? Father God, it's good to be in your house. It's good to read your word. And it's good to be reminded of the fact that you are our king, our sovereign. You spoke the world in existence. But you're also our dad. You adopted us into your family. You sent your son to die for our sins so that you might restore us to fellowship. That's a powerful truth I'd ask us to keep in mind all this week until you bring us back together next week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.